0: I spent some time looking at John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a man who, if it was just up to nature alone, he wouldn't have been born. Because if it was just up to nature alone, his mother Elizabeth was barren. And barren women, they don't have kids. If it was just up to nature alone, John the Baptist wouldn't be born because both Elizabeth, his mother, and Zacharias, his father, were, as it says in Luke chapter 1, they were well advanced in years. And yet John the Baptist was born. (laughs) But how was he born? Well, it wasn't of the will of man or the will of the flesh. There was a miracle, a miracle of God. We talked about how he had the name that he had. It was a name he shouldn't have had according to just like normal um, culture and and the, the tradition of his fathers. If it was all up to the tradition of his fathers, naturally speaking, no one in his family was named John. His name would have been Zacharias. But he was called John by a miracle. So he had a birth, and he had a name and a calling by the miracle of God. He was given a a new direction in his life where, if it was just according to the natural flow of things, he would have been a priest, just like his family line. But no, he was a prophet of God. And now we pick up our study, kind of where we started last week, beginning in verse 6. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. John the Apostle here wasn't writing about John the Baptist for John the Baptist's sake. He's not like, you know what? Like, let me tell you this interesting side story because I really want you to know this guy on the side. That's not why he's writing about John the Baptist. John is writing about the incarnation of Christ. The one in whom is life. And that life is the light of men. The one who in very nature is very God. The one who was before all creation, the Word by whom all things were made that were made. The uncreated creator of all things. The one who is shining in the darkness. John the Baptist, he didn't come to be a witness of himself. He came to bear witness of the true light. Jesus is, as it says there in John chapter 1, verse 9, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. I love this. John was just pointing us to the true light. What a great ministry, what a great description of a godly human being. Not drawing attention to himself, but drawing attention to the one to whom all honor and glory is due. To just be like so transparent, like, hey, thanks so much, but let me just draw your attention over here to Jesus. He's the one that you should be paying attention to. The true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He gives light to everyone. Everyone. No one's able to say when they stand before the Lord, I didn't know. No one is without witness. The gospel, the, no, the, the, the revelation of who God is has gone into all the world. Throughout the scripture, we see that God is just shining. He's shining in the world. God has shined upon creation, through creation, a revelation of himself. Like, you think about it, just in terms of creation. Everything that exists had a beginning. And that beginning had a cause. Because to not have a beginning means that creation is infinite, and to be actually infinite doesn't make any sense in terms of creation. You know, math doesn't make sense in an actual infinite. You take actual infinite, and you add it to actual infinite. You know what you have? Actual infinite. It doesn't change. Actual infinite, you can't take away from it. You can't add to it. Creation is not actual infinite. In fact, we have time and we've arrived in the present. There is a, sequen- a sequence of events. We've gotten here to today. Everything has a beginning and that beginning had a cause. And that cause is personal. And that cause is God. And philosophers, they sit around and they talk about these things and they go, wow, you know, it actually makes more sense to believe in a creator than it does to deny a creator. You look at all the great philosophers of the past. Philosophers nowadays, they're, um, you know, they're kind of (laughs) weird. But all the great philosophers of the past, the philosophies that like, A lot of civilizations were built upon. You look at the philosophies of like, you know, um, Plato and Aristotle. And they had gotten very, very close. In fact, they even had within their philosophy what we're looking at here in the Gospel of John. What they would call a Logos philosophy. That there was a primary cause and that cause like had this Logos, this mind. And that mind was what created all things but that mind wasn't personal in, in their mind. They couldn't figure that out. They had gotten so close because there is a certain revelation throughout creation. The personal cause. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3, to the chief musician, the Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The glory of God being declared in the heavens. And I love that because you can take a microscope and go deep, and you see the glory of God revealed in creation. You can take a telescope and go far, and you see the glory of God revealed in creation. And I love that now, like, you know, every time they build a bigger telescope, they're like, oh, wait, we didn't know everything. Right now, the James Webb is like all the rage. And what are they finding with the James Webb? All of our physics are a little weird. We didn't have all the answers that we thought we had. And now they're having to go back to the books, because the further they go, the heavens are still declaring the glory of God. The Bible tells us in in Romans 1, 19 and 20, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God is shining through creation. That there is a God. That he has created all things. That he has created you. And if you've come forth from your creator, you should figure out who he is. He's shining in the light of your conscience. It's interesting how every culture, every person, they're born with this innate sense of right and wrong. There is a moral standard. Now this moral standard it goes beyond culture and race. Like we all have it, but that that can be um, you can numb that, you can squash that, but it's there. It speaks of a lawgiver. The good by which we innately know good, right? Because there has to be some standard of perfect for you to have a gauge of. You know, more perfect or less perfect. There has to be some standard of the good for you to know while wow, that's not good. And that's why, like, sometimes we, even when the conscience is flawed, there is this other revelation of God as He's just shining in the conduct of others. What? How is God shining in the conduct of others? Well, um, if you were to see someone speeding, Past a warning sign that said, bridge out. What would you think? Like you're just driving along and then all of a sudden, bridge out. Like on the road to Hana and they're just like, you think, oh, they must live in Hana. No, like (laughs) those guys know that road, right? Same without going out towards Kahakaloa. My goodness. But if it says bridge out and then you drive up and you see that Whoa, they went off the bridge. You would think, stupid person, they deserved that. Because the warning was right there. But when it comes to sin, there are warnings all around us, all around us. And yet, people are ignoring the warning. Have you noticed how the things that you might make room for in your life, if someone else does them and you see it, you're like, that is so messed up. It is so messed up. You know, like we exaggerate give we give our wrongs different names from others. Somebody else tells a lie, and you know, you're just kind of fudging the truth a little bit. Because we give room to ourselves, but we come down hard on others. Why? Because we see the wrong when it's on someone else, even though we might not see it on ourselves. When you can see the wrong on someone else, even though you might be blind to the wrong, you might be walking in the exact same thing, but you see it on someone else and you judge it on someone else, the Bible tells you that you judge yourself because you do the exact same thing. So whatever you call it in someone else's life, that's what it is in your life too. And that standard of right and wrong, again, that might not be there in your conscience, you can see it on others and you know that there is a difference. Between right and wrong. If we're all just an accident, if you were an accident, if life was an accident, if creation was an accident, if all we are is just a series of accidents that have brought us to today, then accidents are what is, and right and wrong is irrelevant. Did you know that? If you just like poofed out of nowhere. Lightning struck something and it became life and then it ate something else and it morphed and deformed and, and, you know, mutated and all of a sudden, here we are today in one big, long chain of accidents, then that's the king of the hill, right? Accidents. There is no right or wrong. But God has created you for a purpose and that purpose becomes that innate standard. And God's shining He's been shining. Not only that, but he shines in the very image you've been created in. You are created in the image of God. Just the very fact that there's things that make sense, that you're using reason and logic. The root of logic is the same root of the word logos. He's the one that puts the order into all things. And we love to see things orderly. Now, we might tend towards chaos. Your kid's room might prove that. But at the same time, we love order. At least we know how to proceed in order, to go forward. And then within us, there's a certain psychological longing. God has been shining. Why is God shining? Because God is light. Because God is love. And God wants us to know him. And these things are speaking to us about God. That's how every civilization that has ever existed has ended up with some form of religion or some form of temple, some rite of worship, because they know innately within themselves that there's got to be more. Just the fact that you see it, you go down here to past the Wahe golf course in the, the, the preserve out there, and there's a big old giant hayow. Why is that heiau out there? Because they believed that there had to be more. It had to be more than a pretty mountain. It had to be more than an ocean with fish in it. They, had, they, just, they knew it innately. There has to be more. There's a light that's shining. And like with Paul when he shows up in Athens. And they have all of these different gods. They had a god in case they even missed one. And that god was to the unknown god. But God's not content to leave us in a place where we know that there's got to be a God and yet He's unknown. He's shining in all of creation just in the fact that He is light and He is love. He shines enough to where every man, woman, child is without excuse. But He's no longer the unknowable God. He is, if He is the unknown God to you today, just know this, it's simply because you won't hear Him. And why is that? Why is he no longer the unknown God? What John is writing about in John chapter 1, the incarnation of Christ. I love the hymn. It says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. And then the song continues, At Calvary, the cross. But the cross didn't just like, he didn't just like pop up like, Bing, I'm here, the cross. From the pronouncement of the angel to Mary. And the prophecies before that of his coming. To, you know, his, his birth, to his life, to the cross. Love drew that plan grace is what enacted it. The love of God, he shines because he is light and because he is love, which leads us to one of the saddest realities in the Bible. And that's where we've come in verses 10 and 11. All of this shining, all this shining. And then in verse 10, He was in the world. He was in the world. And the world was made, sorry, through him. I did that twice and it didn't even help. There we go. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. There is so much here. There is miracles here. There is grace here. Grace undeserved. He was in the world. Remember the pronouncement by the angels? the glad tidings of great joy for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. That message was for all people. He was in the world. And you shall call his name Emmanuel which is God with us. He was in the world, and yet the world was made by him. So just the fact that he's in the world, like he created the heavens and the earth. Like God is spirit. Remember John chapter four, we'll get there eventually, but God is spirit. And he is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That definition of spirit, remember? They were all afraid after the resurrection. And he said to Thomas, here, stick your finger in my wounds. And he said, spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. As you see me have. What? That's amazing, right there. God is spirit, and yet God had flesh and bone. We're going to get to that next week. Just a little sneak preview in verse 14. And the Word became flesh, He was in the world. Creator entered into his creation by uniting himself with his creation, the one who made all things, the, the, the one who is spirit, made the physical world, and then the one who is spirit clothed himself in physicality. What? And why did he do it? Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. The grace that brought it down to man. Creator entered into his creation. He walked among us. And as he did, he healed the sick. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He raised the dead. He taught like no one else taught. When he calmed the storm, the disciples said, what manner of man is this? For even the winds and the waves obey him. And yet, as he's in the world, the world did not recognize him. The world did not recognize him. It says, he came to his own. Now, the way that the tense is on that word own there, all the the Greek scholars that I was reading, they all pointed to the fact of that speaks of like his own in terms of like his homeland. He came to his homeland. And then it says, but his own did not receive him. That next word own has a different tense to it, which points to his home people. So he came to his homeland and to his home people, and it was his home people that did not receive him. This isn't like neglect here them not receiving him, it's not neglecting, it's rejecting. It's a rejection. How did they receive Jesus when he came? When the creator entered into creation, what was his reception? Well, shepherds showed up. Some, you know, Magi from the east who were clinging to Old Testament prophecies that had been delivered to them by Daniel back in Babylon days and had passed down. They believed the prophecies, but who was there to show up? No, they said there's no room for him. There's no room in the inn. There's no room. After the Magi came and Herod found out about it, well... Then he tried to kill him. From the time he was born, what's his reception? Let's kill him. From the time he came into the earth. He started his ministry. His Rejection. Mocking and ridicule. How did they receive him? They threw him out. He came to his own and they threw him out. They turned him over to the Gentiles. They asked for Barabbas. And then they said, crucify him, which isn't just some like normal death. It's a humiliating, public, brutally painful execution. That's how they received him. And you might think, well, yeah, but that was them though. I wouldn't do that. And then you keep reading your Bible. And if you read your Bible, you'll find out the way the Bible describes you is not the way that Disney would describe you. Because Disney will describe you as your parents are stupid, everyone else is stupid, but you can fix it all. But the Bible says, everyone's stupid and you are too. (laughs) No, no, That's how you know it's not a man-made religion, right? Because man wouldn't do that. It would say, everyone but us. <laughs> Paul, the apostle, he, he gathers up scriptures to describe to us what God sees when he sees the human condition. And I'm telling you, that is the best way to get an opinion on something is to see what the scripture has to say about it because the scripture is the final authority. Well, what does the Bible say about, let's say, the heart and mind of mankind? Well, the Bible says this about the heart and mind of mankind in Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. So what does the Bible say about my heart and minds? It says that. What does the Bible say about your heart and minds? It says that. Those aren't easy words to hear because we want to be like, you know, that super ego. That, that, that sense of self that's based on what we think we ought to be that is always so generous with how we are. Because, you know, like, and like if you ever, I'm sure that you've spent some time talking to like a meth addict. If you've ever talked to a meth addict, they always tell the story of how they're just a few steps away from everything coming together and their whole plan is going to work out. Right? They're like, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and there's a couple of things. But really what the whole thing is, is a big lie that they've been telling themselves and others and they believe it. We're just like that too. Maybe not as like off the rails immediately, but we tell ourselves the stories that we love to believe. And yet God sees through all the stories that we tell ourselves. They're not easy words to hear. What about our speech? Romans 3, 13 and 14. Their throat is an open tomb. Their... With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now, like, it's interesting that he goes to the mouth. Because, well, you know, if, if you look over in, like throughout the Bible, like in, even in, in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, Paul lists this whole list of, like, really out there sins. You might look at that and be like, well, I don't do that stuff. Okay, well, just because you don't do that stuff doesn't mean that you're not a sinner. But to illustrate that we're guilty and to illustrate the condition of our heart, he goes right after the tongue. Bible tells us in James 3, 6 through 8, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among the members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So just even that, your mouth... And Jesus says, the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We are guilty. I am guilty. This is not a pretty description, but it's accurate. And then the overall direction of life. Well, I'm heading on to utopia. I'm heading on to better and brighter days. Romans 3, 15 through 18, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wherever mankind goes, even though like all over the world, Every culture, every civilization, there's temples and there's these, you know, forms of religions. So it all shows that there's got to be more. Everywhere man goes, you see that kind of stuff. But also everywhere mankind goes, you, you find ruin, you find misery, you find destruction, you find corruption. Everywhere. And then they get really good at it. They, pro- they, make, they make it out like, I'm doing the best for everyone. When really, uh, they're just doing the best for themselves. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, just show, like, right now, they're trying to crack down on government officials in Congress um, doing stock trading. And you know who's fighting that? Government officials <laughs> in Congress. Because they get the inside scoop on everything. Right? So, anyway, everywhere you find war, you find destruction, you find pollution over and over and over again. They have monuments of religion, and yet they also have legacies of destruction. And why? Well, look at it. And the way of peace they have not known. The reason that they didn't know the way of peace wasn't because the way of peace hadn't been revealed. They didn't want to know him. They didn't want to know the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but my me. They didn't want that. They didn't want the Prince of Peace. And so like what Paul says in Romans, he says we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So what became the common human experience is a rejection. A rejection of the one who came to rescue you. He came to the world that he made. He was in, the creator was in the world that he made. He came to his homeland. He came to his home people. And I mean, I love that. When I, when I go to California, I, I just love it when I start going closer and closer to my hometown. When I go to my hometown, like, it just, there's like this familiarity to it. And then I get to like, get closer. There's a couple of streets that are like, I know I'm on my way to my, to my granny and grandpa's house. And I come around that corner and go down to the bottom of the street there. They, their house is at right at the bottom of a cul-de-sac. I pull into that driveway. Oh, I'm so excited. You know, and like it used to be that they'd be there waiting for me at the door. But now, you know, I have to ring the doorbell. And then they, then they start coming in because they're a little slower than what they used to be. But when I see them in the window, I'm with my people. And it's just so precious to come to my home, my own people. But if I was to ever ring that doorbell and see them come by and have them open the door and they'd be like, now, nah, who are you? <laughs> Granny, it's me. I don't know you. Get out of here. I'll call the cops. Wow. What a, what a heartbreak that would be. He came to his own. And not only was there no room in the inn, there was no room for him on the planet. They violently threw him out and they executed him brutally. And yet here in verses 12 and 13... right up against one of the saddest realities in the Bible. In verses 12 and 13, it says this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When I was younger, one of my friends, uh, their mom owned a beach house down in Mexico, and so you know, here's all my high school friends, and we get we get saved. We're walking with Jesus. And what we would do is we would gather up and we would go down to this beach house in Mexico for weekends. And we, what we would do is we would have like nonstop Bible study. And then we would go out and surf because the, the surf spot right there was so good. And it was like tucked away. You couldn't see it from the road. So it was never crowded. And uh, so we would surf and we'd come in and we'd eat. And then we'd have Bible study. And then we would surf and we would eat. And we'd, have, and we'd just do it like rotate and then we would also bring a bunch of clothing and and tarps and stuff and we would go into like the local communities that you know where there was some like intense poverty these little colonias that were building up and we would just come out and we'd give these people clothes and we would share Jesus with them and so it would just be this weekend trip of just bible study and ministry and surfing and food but I mean it was awesome and we would come back exhausted, but it was always so so amazing. Well, I remember one particular weekend, I had to work late that Friday, and the, we would always do like a caravan because we would bring a lot of clothing and a lot of tarps and stuff. And when you bring these things through and you go through the border, and they see like a bunch of stuff, they'll check. They want ch- to. They, they'll do the inspection. If they see all this stuff in there that you're getting ready to give out, then they'll pull you over, and it's like this customs thing and. It's so difficult. So we learned to put them all in a bunch of duffel bags. We had these nice duffel bags and we'd, everything we were given. And then we would do a massive caravan all packed in together. And the van that would have the trailer with all the stuff in it would go first. And then when if they, they would always flag the van over into secondary. And so then everybody in the caravan behind would pull over behind the van and we would just completely block up the border and they'd be like, go, go, go. We like, no, speak Spanish, you know, like I don't speak Espanol, but that's our car. And then the guy in the front would be like, all of those duffel bags, all of these people behind, they brought that stuff. And so they'd be like, oh, it it must just be all their luggage, And then it was such a chaotic scene that they would just flag us on and we'd get through. And that's how we'd bring all the stuff down. So, I'm teaching you how we'd smuggle stuff through the Mexican border. Um, Now, if I was coming the other way, they'd just be like, come on in, fentanyl, bring it. You know, like, but, you know, bringing clothes to poor people, boom, you know. Never! Bring your drugs and bring, you know, all that. But but don't bring us your clothes. Um, Well, so I missed the whole caravan action. It was a lot of fun, but... I had to go late, and there was a couple ladies in our church that they're like, oh, yeah, they had some stuff, so they wanted to hitch a ride with me. So I'm going down, I'm thinking, I've been there a bunch of times, I can find my way. When you, as soon as you cross the border, though, it's weird, because there's no lane lines, very limited signs. They don't give you warning signs like exit in quarter of a mile. It's like the sign is the, 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 the turn. And I'm driving, and I'm thinking I know my way. And it starts to get dark. And I'm thinking I know my way. And then I totally missed my turn. And I didn't know I missed my turn. And then I see a turn, and I think it's my turn. And I take it. And I think I took the right turn. I have missed the right turn and not known it. I have taken the wrong turn and not known it. And now I'm heading out into the middle of Mexico and I don't know where I'm going. And I have a, I have a car full of ladies with me. And I'm, th- I'm already thinking, like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to get out of this mess. And then I'm thinking, okay, we've already had problems with corrupt federales. You know, like, one time a guy got, one of our guys got locked in, in jail. And one of the pastors that we were working with had to, like, put his house up for collateral and they extorted that pastor like crazy and it was and it was just bad you know just because they want to so i've had experience with the corrupt federales so i'm like I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, man, some crab federales are going to come. Some some bandits are going to come, and they're going to take advantage of everybody. And I'm like, this is terrible. And I'm freaking out because I feel personally responsible. And at one point, I tried to pull over, and I almost pulled into a ditch. And I'm like, we're going to die out here. It's so bad. The thing is, is that even if after I pulled over, if you would have given me a map, I wouldn't have been able to find where I was because I didn't know where I was. A map wouldn't do me any good. I had missed my turn. I had taken the wrong turn. I didn't know where I was. It was dark. I was afraid. You know what I was? I was lost. I was completely lost. Now, just to give you a little backstory, ended up getting out of the mess, drove a little further, started to find stuff that was familiar, and after a long, long time, we got to where we were going. So nobody got kidnapped. Nobody got held for ransom. But just to tell you, like, what I was feeling at that moment, So lost. The reality is though, like mankind, we're not just lost. We have over and over again ran the opposite way of the Lord and his guidance for our life. Because over and over again, we think, well, you know what, like God's way, but like, This way will work a little bit better for me in the time being. Like, I'm going to do this thing right now because, you know, it's more practical. Like, God's thing is just not practical for me right now, but this thing is super practical for me. And every time we do this, like, I'm going to do my thing, we're just going, taking another wrong turn and another wrong turn, and we're getting farther and farther, and we're searing our conscience, and we're numbing our hearts and minds, and we're getting more and more deliberately lost. Often it's like, I know God has something that's better for me, in like the forever sense, but like right now, I'm trying to fit in to the people around me and this is how I'm going to do it. Just like what you see happening in the lives of those who, they end up spending time on the streets. You kind of watch them. You see, when we were over at the other building, we would see people come in and be like, oh, like here's a, this person is newly homeless. You try to care for them and, as time would go on and they spent more time out in the streets, they would just like little by little begin to lose their mind. You'd see them out talking to themselves and, and you try to care for them. But it was, and you just see that little by little. When man fell and mankind sinned against God, man became distorted, deranged and lost, lost to himself. God knew exactly where he was, right? When he called to Adam in the garden, it wasn't because he's like, now where did Adam go? When God called out to Adam in the garden, it was, he was calling out for confession and repentance. The same thing when God calls out to you. Like he's not, he's not trying to like, I don't know where they went. Like God, God sees you right now. He knows you and he's calling To this day, spiritually speaking, men and women apart from Christ, they don't know where they are. They don't know the danger they're in. They're blind to their condition. They don't know where they've come from. Couldn't find their way back. Unable to explain the longing that's in them, building temples and stuff, just trying to figure things out. Longing to return. They certainly don't know where they're going. There's just like this aimlessness to their life. They are wanderers spiritually blind and just bumping into hazards along the path that leads to destruction. Romans three, sixteen through 17 as we saw, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, The miracle of the gospel is this, that no matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done, God loves you. He demonstrated that fully on the cross. By turning from your sin and placing your faith in Jesus, by receiving him, what does it say there? It says, but in verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He gives you power. He gives you privilege. As many as receive him. You don't have to be lost any longer. Like, that's what John's telling us here. You don't have to be lost. You don't. Like, recognize you're lost. That's part of what God is doing in your life right now. But you don't have to be lost. Now, you could recognize you're lost and then just be like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to figure this out. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to stay lost. But you don't have to be lost any longer. As many as would receive him. To them, he gave the right to become children of God. The sad thing about the fall, the sad thing about the reality of sin in your life, is that it robbed you of your identity. It robbed you. Apart from Christ, you don't even know who you are. But John, in another place, wrote this, 1 John 3:1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. I kind of want to show you this verse in a couple different translations. Um, like New Century Version and New American Standard, New Century Version, the Father has loved us so much that we are called children of God. And we really are His children. The reason people in the world do not know us is that they have not known Him. New American Standard says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us? That we should be called children of God? And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. But I think it comes out the clearest in the NIV. That's not always the case, but in this one, I I think it is. He says this, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Called children of God. And that is what we are. God calls. And we are. Now think back to me, with me, where we're at in the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with uh, in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was nothing made that was made. So he talks to God about God being the creator and then he talks about creation. John in his mind keeps taking it all the way back to creation where there's nothing And then God calls it, and it comes into being. It's nothing. Now, nothing cannot become something on its own. Because there is no own. It's nothing. And yet, when God calls it, he brings forth things that are not existent as though they were. He brings them into being. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. He called it and there it was. With everything that God created, he said it, he called it, and it was. And now here's the beautiful thing. As many as would receive him, we are called sons of God And we are sons of God. Why are we sons of God? Because we are called that. He calls it, and we become that. This is the new creation, not the old. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All of that stuff that we talked about, Paul's description of like, you know, Your misery and destruction are in your ways. Your throat is like an open sepulcher. You know, like there's none that fears God. All of that old stuff. Yeah, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Whatever that description was apart from God, you receive him. And he calls you sons of God, children of God. And guess what happens? You are. What was before? Shame, regret, loss, enormous guilt, guilty before God. What are you now? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. You are brand new. Children of the Father. And then John continues there in 1 John 3.1. He says, Therefore, the world does not know him, know us because it did not know him. Remember, the whole thing that John's been saying over here in the Gospel of John is that the light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. That he was in the world, and the world did not know him. It more like refused to know him. He came to his own homeland, and his own people they rejected him and now being sons of god children of god he says this the world doesn't get you either in fact they don't want to get you because they don't know him they don't want to get him they don't want to know him and so therefore like there's always going to be a disconnect like what's wrong with you christians If they would know him, they'd recognize his likeness in us. (laughs) I remember uh, a bunch of years ago, I was doing a youth camp in New Jersey, and I was staying at a friend's house. It's um, three boys. Well, they're men now. But I was staying at the house of, it was Cisco, Carlos, and Gabo. And Puerto Rican boys that had, like, they always wore their hair in an afro. And I knew them, but I'd never met their dad. So get in late at night, stay the night there. The next morning, I'm walking down, and there's their dad. And I'm like, wow. First thing out of my mouth is, you look just like your boys. And in his very stern, hardcore Puerto Rican accent, he corrected me. He said, no, my boys look like me. And I love that because it truly is an issue of like father, like son. The father doesn't become more like us. We become like him. And that's what John tells us, even in 1 John 2, 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. You get the father's resemblance, family nature, family characteristics. Power, privilege to be children of God. But in wrapping it up, look right there, though, in verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It isn't of blood, not of natural means. Nor of the will of human flesh or human desire nor of the will of man, of human determination, but of God. Now remember, he's using John the Baptist as a light and a witness to the light of Christ. Remember John the Baptist? John the Baptist, his life was a miracle. He was a man who, if it was up to nature alone, he wouldn't have been born. His natural birth was not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. but God did what only God could do. He had a name that he shouldn't have had, naturally speaking. No one in his name was called John. His name would have been Zecharias if, if it wasn't for God. And now, talking about not of the will of, not of blood, natural means, the will of the flesh, or the will of man um born of god you wouldn't be children of god if it wasn't for a miracle you wouldn't be called by that name children of god if it wasn't for a miracle newness of life in Christ Jesus is a miracle you can't have it because you set your mind to it you can't have it through natural means God shines, God calls, he brings forth the miracle. And what's your part? It says right there in verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe. That's your part. And let me add this, simply believe. John never qualifies your belief. I talked about this a little bit last week. He doesn't say strongly believe or like, you know, there's no adjectives. There's nothing to describe it. It's just simple believe. Otherwise, you'd make it into a work. Spend your whole life trying to look to the level of your belief in order to find confidence. We don't look to the level of our belief to find confidence. We know we look to you to find confidence. We look to him, who he is, what he's promised to be. Now, I'm just going to wrap it up with this little story, um, kind of a cheesy illustration, but I hope it makes sense. Plane tickets are super expensive right now. Inflation... Gas prices. Every time we send more money to somewhere, like our government sends money to somewhere else, your purchasing power of your dollar becomes less and everything's cost goes up. But let's say we all decide to take a trip to the mainland. And since flights are super expensive, let's try it a different way. We're all going to go down to the harbor, we're all going to drive over there to Pier 1. We're all going to line up there, and we're going to jump across the ocean. Might, might as well try, right? Let's do some, put some human effort to this thing. We'll get there. We just got to jump. So we all go down, we start to jump with all of our might. And let's say Mo, like, he surprises us all. He makes it 20 feet. 20 feet. It's humanly possible for some humans, not humanly probable for us humans. But 20 feet. Some jump 10, some jump 5, some can't even jump. <laughs> like, I didn't, did I leave the ground? No. <laughs> oh, man. Now, Mo, since he jumped the farthest, he looks back on everybody that jumped the least, and he's like, look how not as good as I am they are. They don't have the same abilities that I have. But the goal isn't to get further than anybody else. The goal is to get to the mainland. And when we're talking about getting there, ho, <laughs> ho, you haven't even begun in your 20 feet to make it those however many miles that it is there. And I know it's a silly illustration, but that's what so many try to do. And they try to make the things of God by means of natural, the blood, by like the desires of men the will of the flesh or the will of man the determination fact is none of us are able to make the distance if you try to jump to heaven on the basis of being better you can't do that if you try to be a child of god by the means of, like, figuring it out, can't do that. The only way to cure your sin problem and the only solution to the rejection that we have continuously walked in, the only way to make it to heaven, the only way to be a child of God, is to put our confidence in the true light is shining in the darkness to put our confidence in the one who made the world and then the reason he was in the world was to be a savior for all mankind he came to his own people and they rejected him but to as many as would believe to whoever would john three sixteen, whosoever believes in him it's not up to people groups. It's not up to demographics. It's up to you in your individual, individuality sitting there right now and responding to his revelation through faith in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. To them, he gave the right to be the children of God. <laughs>